2: To Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, with Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD from Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington. If you'd like to join in the discussion, email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm or call into the program with your questions. Now here's your host, Reverend Anna Schaus.
1: Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet, where we support your spiritual growth in recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host, and I want to thank all of you for listening with us here today on Spirit of Recovery. I'm very glad that you're listening. It's great to have the opportunity to broadcast on the topic of spirituality and recovery. And I want to thank you also for letting your friends and for the people in your recovery community, your spiritual communities, your unity communities, know about us here on Spirit of Recovery And thank you also for posting on our Facebook wall. We've got Spirit of Recovery on Facebook, and we love getting those likes. So thank you for liking us on Facebook. And also thank you for emailing in and letting us uh, know how the Spirit of Recovery is touching your heart. Know that you can listen to Spirit of Recovery in a variety of ways. You can obviously listen through your computer. You can listen through your smartphone. Um, you can listen to archives twenty four seven. Just go to wwwunityfm backslash program backslash recovery and you can hear any of our great archives that we've got on that website. Every week we talk about topics that are important to the recovery community, and we always have guests who are down-to-earth, knowledgeable and innovative. They're people who either are in some type of recovery themselves or who work with or write for people who are recovering or who are teaching on spirituality and that recovery spiritual process. And so we're always bringing you practical information that you can use and lively discussions that get you and people who really are on the cutting edge who are doing real work in the real world and making a profound difference. Spirit of Recovery is a welcoming place and so if you're a person that's in recovery from any kind of an addiction or if you're a family member that's in your own recovery as a family member or a family member or friend of somebody with the disease of addiction, whether or not you or they are in recovery, or you're just curious about the recovery process, you just want to know more about it, we welcome you. We welcome you as a listener. We welcome you to participate in our discussions. Again, my name is Anna Schaus. I'm your Spirit of Recovery host. I'm a unity minister and an addictions counselor. I'm also a person who has in my own circle of love and friendship many people with the disease of addiction. And years ago, those relationships got me started on an active path of personal growth, recovery, and spiritual development. My Recovery Walk is an integration of the Unity Principles and the 12-Step Principles, and that keeps me transforming my life, and it keeps me growing. So I'm delighted to have the opportunity to share recovery and spirituality with you. Today we have a very special program um, with two guests who I know you're going to really enjoy, who have a lot to say to us today today. Our topic is Repairing the Soul, How We Recover from Moral Injury. Moral injury is a a concept that has been developed over the last several years. It's the idea that when people are in traumatic situations, such as uh, war veterans, people that are fighting a war, or even people that have the disease of addiction are often in very morally compromised situations, that uh, moral injury results from witnessing those immoral acts sometimes or behaving in ways that deeply conflict with a person's moral conscience or values. And so when that happens, it does call not just for a psychological approach, but it really calls for a spiritual approach and for the deep recovery of a person's sense of goodness and value. It really does call. To repair the soul, and so my guests today are the co-directors of the Soul Repair Center, and that's at Bright Divinity School, which is in uh, from te- at Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, uh, Texas. The Soul Repair Center has just opened uh, in November. It's a new uh, concept and uh, a profound concept. My guests are Dr. Rita Nakashima Brock and. Uh, Army Chaplain Colonel Herman Kaiser Jr. Rita is the daughter of a veteran of the Korean War and the stepdaughter of a U.S. Army veteran of World War II and the Vietnam War. She holds a doctorate in theology. She was a senior administrator at Harvard University, and she is also the director of the nonprofit interfaith organization called Faith Voices for the Common Good. She has just co authored with Gabriella Latini the book Soul Repair Recovering from Moral Injury After War, and that has also just been released in November. Herman Kaiser, Jr. is a retired Army chaplain colonel with 45 military decorations. He served for nearly 40 years in the military and was wounded twice in Vietnam. And Reverend Kaiser is the Director of Chaplaincy Ministries Emeritus for the Christian Reformed Church in North America. And again, these uh, two distinguished individuals are the co-directors of the newly opened Soul Repair Center at Bright Divinity School. So welcome, Rita and Herm.
3: Thank you. Thank you, you, Anna. It's good to be with you.
1: Glad you're here. So uh, as I said, the... Cell uh, Repair Center has just opened. Could you tell us a bit about why you decided to open this center?
4: Well, I can say a little about that. Um, uh, I have a colleague named Gabriella Latini, the co-author of our book, uh, and she and I started about four years ago trying to think about different ways to look at the, uh, how the country was so polarized around war. And uh, we met some filmmakers who'd made a film called Soldiers of Conscience, which really uh, revealed a whole different way of trying to understand how war affects society through the experiences of soldiers who are called to fight. And uh, what we learned from that process was how anguishing it is for anyone who either chooses to fight or tries to get a conscientious objector status, that it's not an easy process and that everyone who is involved in war makes moral decisions. And, So we thought that um, it would be good to try to get the voices of veterans in front of the public, and we held a Truth Commission on Conscience and War, and the commission itself recommended that moral injury was a really important concept that the Veterans Affairs clinicians had just begun to look at as a possible factor in the high rates of veteran suicides. And as we got deeper and deeper into the subject, we realized this was a huge project of public education that needed to happen. And so uh, Herm joined us on the t- leadership team to raise the money and find a home for the center uh, so that we could do this kind of public education about moral injury in veterans.
1: Right. Thank you. I know that mm-hmm. uh, the concept of moral injury, as you said, was just it's just begun to be developed by the VA Tell us what it is, and I know both of you really have personal stories about this, as well as the many stories that uh, you have uh, heard from the veterans that you 're in contact with. What is moral injury
3: why don 't you start herm on that one? all right uh, one of the one of the things that happens in in war is that uh, people go in and they experience certain kinds of things that, are, that really go against the training and the uh, values that they have been instilled with. And when they run into these conflicts of values, then they become very injured uh, in the deepest parts of their being. Uh, I started out with dealing with conscientious objectors during uh, the Vietnam War, And the the government says you have to be a pacifist, and many of the young men I worked for were not pacifists, but really just objected to the war in Vietnam. They were both hawks and doves, and uh, they used the just war tradition as the basis for their argument. Uh, Many of them had very good arguments against the war, but were turned down by the government, and then they were given an order either to take up their weapons or to face jail. Uh, Those that uh, face jail, you know they went there with their conscience somewhat intact, but those who uh, decided that they, w- they would pick up their weapons and continue to try to fight were the ones that really struggled with their conscience because they knew that uh, the person next to them, their buddy, was really depending on them to be able to protect them by taking the enemy 's life, and so they would they would go out on patrol. And be very, very weary uh, and wary of whether there was going to be an enemy there, and many of them had to make decisions either to kill or not to kill and in the process, some of them lost their buddies, and in the process, some of them violated their conscience by killing so it was It was out of that kind of thing that uh, I became aware of of the deeper hurt that happens to people who go into a conflict where they are forced to make moral decisions or choose to make moral decisions that eventually go against their conscience. And one of my professors, when I was in seminary, uh, said, if you sin against your conscience, you commit moral suicide. And Reed and I have talked about that a lot, and we don't, we're, we don't think the suicide part is there, but we do feel that there is a, a severe moral injury that happens when people sin against their conscience
1: how would you describe uh, what it's like when a person has uh, a moral injury or how's that different from PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder? Um, Well, the –
4: Post traumatic stress disorder has a clear uh, diagnosis. I mean there are identifiable symptoms like hyper you know being in a hypervigilant fear state a lot of the time on guard or having flashbacks and nightmares and what are called dissociative episodes where instead of actually remembering something you're reliving it so that the Fear takes over, and it really comes from an, a, a being in a terrorizing situation like war, um, and there are treatments for it. It's a, it's a kind of hormonal imbalance and a brain injury. And moral injury is different from that. Moral injury really comes once that fear factor is calmed down enough that a person can actually reflect on and think about what happened and remember what happened in a way that starts to eat at their conscience, and so uh, moral injury can have a more of a what I would call a slow burn quality rather than an immediate sort of trauma from from the terror of war. And sometimes it doesn't hit someone until ten or fifteen or even thirty years after the experience itself. But then, when it hits, uh, a person begins to feel like. The world can't be trusted anymore. That their meaning system is not reliable, and uh, and that their 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 moral judgments can't be trusted, or they feel like they don't deserve to live anymore because of something they did. And uh, so, there's a an element of of um, self. I would say a kind of self condemnation or a, a, dis, a, a, a deep distrust that emerges through moral injury. And you don't necessarily even have to do anything in particular. Uh, one of the cases that we looked at in a memoir called Shade at Black was a woman who was in the Marine Mortuary Unit, and for eight months she had to pick up body parts. And it just about wrecked her to have to do that every day. To, I think we, as human beings, have a, a deep moral revulsion to having to handle uh, body parts. and so uh, And that hit her like a ton of bricks when she got home. So it's it's this quality of of just feeling like something deep inside is wrong, and and part of what's wrong is your own inner being. And uh, some people live in that state for long periods of time, in, in a um, what I would call a, a kind of deep depression. Some people decide they don't want to live anymore, and they take their own lives. But it's a serious injury to your soul it's not it's not something that um a person can just kind of you know buck up and get over it's a it's a profound trauma to your conscience
1: right you you make the point very clearly in in your book and in the information on uh your website for the soul repair center that it's not a a mental illness moral injury is not a mental illness Mm -hmm. tell us about that how is it that it that it isn't
4: It's not a mental illness because um, having moral injury comes from the human capacities for two things. One is a sense of empathy so that you begin to realize harm you've caused others or um, things that you've done um, to others, perhaps even to their corpses, that that make you feel terrible about what happened. And the second thing is that you have to have a set of moral values. Uh, that evaluate your that you evaluate your behavior by um, and of course all, all of us as children and as we're growing up in civilian life are taught all kinds of values about how you treat your neighbor and how you treat people in your family and so in fact even to uh, make a person capable of fighting in combat that that civilian resistance to killing has to be overcome and so there's um, the way in which a person who has moral injury is actually has a healthy functioning brain because they they can feel empathy and they are aware of their moral values and they judge themselves negatively based on what they've they've experienced. That that's actually a healthy brain function. And one of our points um, at the Soul Repair Center is to understand that veterans who have moral injury are not. Um, Create, they're, not, they're not they 're not they don 't have a disorder they have what a healthy person might experience in war, and they need they need to be uh, repaired so it's like if you have a physically fit body and you go to war and get injured it wasn 't because you were unhealthy and you come home injured, but you 're not necessarily an unhealthy person you just got injured in war and that 's sort of how we are thinking about moral injury that uh, as a society we have a responsibility to help people with moral injury because uh, they are healthy people that just need help to recover.
1: Right. Herm, what would think, you say about that? I think one
3: of the, reason, one, one of the reasons why I think uh, most of the results of you know, injuries of war have been labeled uh, either, either psychological or through the psychiatric community is because the religious community, in fact, did not continue to uh, deal with men and women coming back out of war. Uh, in the early in the early history of the Christian church, uh people had to go through penance for a long time before they would be allowed into the Eucharistic community. Then, with the crusades uh, it you know the Pope could not very well send people to penance after because penance was what they were doing in the war and then so, the church really stopped dealing with the warrior returning and lost a lot of its rites of passage. And the therapeutic community really picked up defining what those injuries were. And I think what what Rita and I are trying to do is to try to uh, assist the therapeutic community in now understanding that there are real complexities in the injuries that happen in war and that uh, some of that needs to be done by the religious community and the value community that a person comes from, and other parts of it can be handled by the professional therapists. Mm-hmm.
1: So you're really, uh, the uh, through the Soul Repair Center, in the position of really calling uh, the spiritual and religious communities to step up to the plate, sounds like.
4: That's actually right, and uh, what's interesting is that the people, the Oxford movement um, that put to, started the recovery movement, a, the whole Alcoholics Anonymous movement, right. had actually also reached back to the ancient penance traditions of the Christian
0: church to see... Hold, hold on to that uh, thought. It's time for our like break.
1: Yes. We'll be right back. I apologize for cutting you off there, but we'll be right back. That's a fantastic uh, idea. Stay with us, listeners. We'll be right back.
2: You are listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. To support this ministry, go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Your contribution helps us broadcast messages of love and inspiration throughout the world.
5: wellness expert, Dr. Michelle Robin, on healthy living.
0: In the game of wellness, there's some basic habits that you need to embrace in order to live a well life.
5: In her book, Wellness on a Shoestring, Robin shows you that complete wellness of body, mind, and spirit doesn't have to cost a fortune. Client Eddie Penrice turned his health around with Dr. Robin's seven habits for a healthy life.
2: I've got to say my body just embraced the change. Besides feeling better, looking
5: better, thinking more clearly. Many of Robin's seven habits for a healthy life are simple and free. She offers tips and shares real stories from clients like Eddie, who've incorporated the habits into their lives and seen the results. You can make this change by
2: being convicted that you will do it, that you don't need anyone else's
5: assistance or help to do it. Make this the year you get healthy. Discover a low-cost, attainable path to feeling better than ever. Order Wellness on a Shoestring today at www.shopunity.org.
2: Does music open your heart and bring you peace and joy? Experience the sacredness of sound with Ram Core as we travel the world of mantra, kundalini yoga, and devotional music. Join us for a journey into spirit, Thursdays at 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern on Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. listening To Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD. If you'd like to share your questions, comments, and experience with today's topics, call us now or email us at spiritofrecoveryunity.fm. At we now return to Spirit of Recovery.
1: Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Today, our topic is repairing the soul, how we recover from moral injury. And my guests are the co-directors of the Soul Repair Center, which is at Wright Divinity School, which is Texas Christian University in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, their names are uh, Dr. Rita Nakashima-Brock and Army chaplain colonel, retired, Herman Kaiser. And they both have lots of experience uh, with these issues Uh Dr. Brock is the daughter of a veteran of the Korean War, the stepdaughter of a U.S. Army veteran of World War II in Vietnam, and she holds a doctorate in theology, has been a senior administrator at Harvard University, and has co-authored a book with Gabriella Latini called Soul Repair, Recovering from Moral Injury After War. Uh, Army chaplain colonel, Retired Herman Kaiser Jr. Uh, is a veteran. He has 45 military decorations, 40 years of service, and was wounded twice in Vietnam. And is an advocate for uh, people who are seeking conscientious objector status, and uh, is working and has worked on behalf of those in the military and veterans for many, many years. So we're very glad that they're with us. Before we get back to our conversation, I invite you to join me in a brief moment of relaxation, of meditation, our Serenity Minute. So I invite you to share with me this constructive idea. I'm whole and well. I'm a good part of life. I am whole and well. I am a good part of life. I make an important positive contribution to my family my friendship circle and my world. Thank you, friends, for joining me for the Serenity Minute. So now I'm back talking with my guests, Rita Nakashima Brock and Lieutenant, or excuse me, Army Chaplain Colonel Herman Kaiser. So, Rita, right before the break, you were making a real important connection between the Oxford movement uh, that. Was the gen you know one of the generating or the where AA Alcoholics Anonymous kind of got a lot of its ideas and what it grew out from, and the concept of repair for moral injury? So tell us uh, about that the, the the concept of penance and so forth.
4: Yes, the the Oxford movement actually looked to the ancient Christian tradition of penance for some of its models for AA, um, and I think. Uh, it, it's been quite successful, uh, and I, one of the things that I think is very strong about the uh, recovery movement and uh, AA in particular is that they understood that the individual therapy and clinical treatment approach can only take a person so far, and then they actually have to, like if you go into treatment for an addiction then you actually have to go back into your old life or your relationships and figure out how to negotiate them in a way that can be quite difficult if they weren't healthy to begin with. And so they understood that you, you can't just throw people back alone, that they have to have a, a strong support system, partly because human beings are just social creatures, but also because um, it's a community that holds a value system and an individual is held by that community. So I think that model itself is applicable to veterans and others who experience moral injury. It's a terrible thing to violate your own conscience and to feel like you don't deserve to live or that there's something really deeply wrong with you or that your meaning system has no value left and you can't trust it. And it's not something that you can just fix in in talking to a therapist because you still have to go back to your life and rebuild your moral identity in, an, in, a, in the life after war. And so uh, I, I do think there are close parallels between uh, the recovery community around addiction and what we're looking at as recovery from moral injury. And we even use the word recovery on purpose for that reason.
1: Great. The um, you know what strikes me is that when a person first enters addiction recovery, one of the uh, markers, one of the uh, concepts that that person has to come to grips with, is how did my addiction cause me to to violate my own values? So it's exactly the same kind of a concept uh, in a way. So there are other. That's uh, right. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, that's go ahead. Yeah. No. Okay. That's right. There are other connections with uh, addiction and moral injury and veterans and so forth. Um, I don't know the statistics, maybe you do, but certainly uh, the incidence of addiction among veterans and uh, perhaps even people in active service, I don't know, is pretty high. What's the connection between that and moral injury?
3: Well, I, th- I think it's many of the servicemen men yeah. begin to. Many of them use uh, alcohol as a, a kind of way to self-medicate, uh, and it's a it, you know it, it, they think it kind of works, and then pretty soon it doesn't work because it just drives them further and further into substances and away from dealing with the things that they need to deal with within themselves and within the community in which they live. One of the things that Rita and I is that we think that and we feel very strongly that uh, the community of faith needs to be very, very active in the kind of healing process that handles moral injury. And a lot of, one of the stresses that we keep trying to deflect is that we're, we're not really into therapy, but we're, we're looking at, at doing some research and some education and trying to build an awareness within communities that they need to be very active in supporting the veterans that are coming back so that they do have that kind of support community.
1: Right. I, one of the lines uh, from the book, Soul Repair, Recovering from Moral Injury After War, uh, that Rita co-authored, that, uh, is after we send men and women off to war, how do we bring them home to peace? And I believe that's, that's really what you're talking about what are some of the strategies that you're developing or have used uh, through the work you've been doing to help religious spiritual communities begin to get engaged in supporting people with moral injury?
3: When we we applied for the grant, one of the things that uh, I was asked to do was to reflect on my ministry in Vietnam and to see if there was anything that I was doing that was kind of pastorally intuitive that uh, now that I know the concept of moral injury makes much more sense and uh, gives me a a different and firmer view of what I had done. And in thinking about that, the two things that I did was I began to have communion at every one of the services I held. Uh, And part of that was to, to show that there is a brokenness in our world and there's a brokenness all around us in war. But where do you find the hope? And you really find the hope uh, in, in the Eucharist and the Resurrection. And uh, so I I've used that symbol of trying to get hope uh, in the midst of that brokenness by using the communion every Sunday or every service. And I had about three services every day. Uh, the other thing was using the Psalms. Uh, I, I think there are Psalms that show anger against God. And many people feel that they really can't be angry with God, and the psalmist is a way for gives a way for them to begin to do that. And there are a lot of psalms of uh, that really deal with laments, where you can bring a complaint against God. And the psalms are structured in such a way that it leads through to a kind of healing, as one remembers the deeper uh, kinds of love and affection that one has received. Uh, in in one's faith journey, and so you know, those are some of the things that I use uh, uh, very effectively within my ministry. And now, it makes more sense to me after I see the moral con- moral injury and war concepts that this is the kind of thing that we need to help people do.
1: Right? What kind yes, of response? I, I Go ahead, Rita. To... And I, I would,
4: yeah, I was going to say, um, and I and I think Herm is right. There's a profound amount of lamentation and grief that happens in war that never can be expressed because the conditions of war don't allow for that kind of space for grief. And so I think a lot of veterans carry a lot of grief around. And I think um, that Rituals and and practices that help people um, begin to cope and process their grief and lamentation are really, really important processes that communities, whether they're religious or not, need to learn to understand how to do. And then another thing I think that's very helpful to vets with moral injury is that they, as they begin to reconstruct their moral identities, they often want to do good in the world. They want to do something of service that can somehow uh, work to repair a world they feel that they helped to, to break. And I know vets that have gone back to Iraq to help to do refugee work, um, and a couple of Marines founded Team Rubicon, which does disaster relief around the world and during natural disasters because they're used to coping with difficult conditions, and um, there were a lot of vet- veterans I know that were involved in the um, Occupy Wall Street movement protesting the financial injustices of the society. And so I think there's, there's, um, th- those are things that need to be understood, that people who experience moral injury and are in the process of trying to rebuild their lives and themselves also um, are, are, are the kind of people who want to do good in the world. And so communities have to provide opportunities for that.
1: What do you find when you speak and when you talk about these things in public to the spiritual communities, religious communities? How do people respond?
4: Um, Well, Well, there's there's a couple of responses I get. (laughs) Yeah, one is is, um, from veterans themselves uh, and people who served in the military but maybe not in war but who are a part of veteran community they often have sort of a sudden look of recognition and say, exactly, I understand this, now I know what I experienced or I know what my friends have experienced or or my buddies. Uh, and, And so it's sort of like just giving a name to something that people have sort of felt that couldn't quite articulate has been really helpful to a lot of people. Uh, and then, of course, there are people in congregations who are families of vets or no vets, and they, they also have a sense that they understand something better and want to help. Um, so I think that it, just having a term and a definition um, and a description of some of the things that can cause moral injury has been really helpful to people. And as you say, not only... Um, war veterans, but people in other contexts who have violated their own consciences deeply.
3: All right, yeah, um, I like we... shared, you know, with the same kind of reaction. I, I when I, I mentioned moral injury in war, that it's, it, it's almost intuitive response that people get, and uh, then you get like, why are you just talking about that now? Moral injury has been happening in war for a long, long time, and. Uh, and it, it's just that recognition that uh, helps people name the ghosts that are around them, and uh, just being able to recognize and name it is is, is very important to them because it, it it it's something that they struggle with, and when it doesn't have a name or you can't really you know, put any kind of definition to it, that it really becomes frightening.
1: Yes, in. Your book, you tell the story about uh, the veteran Clay Warren Hunt, and how you serendipitously encountered his faith community in one after one of your lectures. Would you tell us about that situation and the faith community and how they did end up uh, responding to what happened to Clay?
2: Um,
4: yeah, the, the I was just. You know, this was very early in the process of my thinking about moral injury, and I had been asked to give a lecture at the Rothko Chapel in Houston, so I chose the moral consciences of soldiers as my topic and um, described what I uh, understood about moral injury at that time. And after my talk, I was signing some books, and uh, a, a group of people came up to me at the end of the line of uh, book signing. They were from Clay Hunt's. Memorial Drive Methodist Church in Houston, and were very distraught. I I didn't understand why they were so distraught, because I had not heard the story. So they told me about his suicide, and they said, we wish we'd known about moral injury. We might have been able to help him, because they they all cared about him and had been trying to help him, and he had been a success story for a Marine who'd been able to come home and get his civilian life started and had a community around him. So I didn't know about that story. It broke in the New York Times the very next day, it became a national story for veterans around the country because Clay had been a hero to everyone about a successful return home, and so many vets were devastated by his suicide. That, as I looked into his story more deeply and tried to figure out what, what might have caused him to want to take his own life what I discovered is that he had lost four very close friends, two in Iraq and two in in Afghanistan, and I think he just never got over survivor guilt. When he shot himself in his apartment in Houston, he had put the pictures of all four of his friends on the wall by the front door so that that's what he saw every day when he left that apartment. So I think he um, just couldn't come to terms with survivor guilt, and probably um, his community didn't really know how to help him process that amount of grief.
1: Right. Herm, in all of your uh, experience in the military and working with uh, active and uh, veterans, how do people, what are some particular ways um, that people can work with the survivor guilt? That's a big one.
3: Uh, you know, one of the things I think is, is helpful is for a, a couple of things have to take place. One is there has to be, like uh, Rita talked about, there has to be some accurate empathy uh, with—not sympathy, but really empathy and, and empathic understanding of what it likes, what it's like to be morally wounded. And the other thing I think is there has to be a positive regard for the soldiers uh, and men and women who are in these conditions. Uh, I think one of the differences between the wars that are we're currently in and the Vietnam War is that... Uh, we're not. We're no longer blaming the veterans themselves, and this is what happened in more, in at the end of Vietnam. And so, one of the things I think that Vietnam veterans have, commun- have contributed to this is to say, you know, the, we have to hold these soldiers in positive regard, and, and that what they're doing is, is something that we need to really acknowledge is something very, very difficult. And you know, I think that to be. To be shown that uh, people really care about who you are uh, and not so much about what you've done. You know, m- most of the time the soldiers don't like to talk about killing. Uh, most of the conversations that I have w- with soldiers uh, are, are on not so much the dark side of war but the light side of war. Uh, there are a million and one jokes about it. And uh, I, you know, I. Tonight I have to go to a, a meeting of the Society of the Purple Heart, and uh, they're all men who have been wounded, many of them very severely wounded in war, and uh, they they really are able to recover from their physical injuries a lot quicker than they can from their their moral injuries. And one of the okay, things we're going to have to
1: hold that thought. I'm sorry, my, it's time my, for a break. We'll be right back. Listeners, stay with us. We're we're coming back in just a moment.
5: Wellness expert, Dr. Michelle Robin, on healthy living.
0: In the game of wellness, there's some basic habits that you need to embrace in order to live a well life.
5: In her book, Wellness on a Shoestring, Robin shows you that complete wellness of body, mind, and spirit doesn't have to cost a fortune. Client Eddie Penrice turned his health around with Dr. Robin's Seven Habits for a Healthy Life.
2: I've gotta say my body just embraced the change besides
5: feeling better, looking better, thinking more clearly. Many of Robin's seven habits for a healthy life are simple and free. She offers tips and shares real stories from clients like Eddie who've incorporated the habits into their lives and seen the results. You can
2: make this change by being convicted that you will do it, that you don't need
5: anyone else's assistance or help to do it. Make this the year you get healthy. Discover a low-cost, attainable path to feeling better than ever. Order Wellness on a Shoestring today at www.shopunity.org.
2: Listening to Spirit of Recovery, the place where spirituality and recovery meet with Reverend Anna Shouse, PhD. If you have a question, comment, or experience with today's topic you'd like to share, call us now or email us at spiritofrecovery at unity.fm. We now return to Spirit of Recovery.
1: Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. My name is Anna Schaus, and I'm your host. Today, our topic is repairing the soul, how we recover from moral injury. My guests are the co-directors of the newly opened Soul Repair Center at Bright Divinity School, and the website that you can go to to get uh, information about the Soul Repair Center and to get lots and lots of good uh, resources for about this topic is, uh, here's the website, site address ww and that's V-R-I-T-E soulrepair.org. So I'll give it again ww.bright brightsoulrepair.org, and uh, you can go to that website and, again, get lots of great resources and find out what uh, my guests, Rita Brock and Herman Kaiser uh, and others, are doing with this excellent work. So, from before our break, you were telling us about how tonight you're going to be going to a, a meeting of uh, veterans uh, of, the, of the Purple Heart Society and how though people maybe have recovering from their physical injuries, that it's harder to recover from those moral injuries. So what's it like to be there with uh, all of you there and, and uh, dealing with the moral injury and the recovery from that?
3: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm the chaplain for our chapter, and so it usually falls to me to, to say the grace and uh, also to lead some discussions about uh, some of the things that are happening, especially in relationship to the Soul Repair Center, because as soon as I started this process with Rita and Gabriella, uh, the, the guys in the Purple Heart Society really wanted to know more about that. And uh, so we talk about the fact that there are a lot of young soldiers coming back from the current wars with injuries that are hidden, and not as open as the wounds that uh, we all experience because most of our wounds were were physical. And we have a couple of members in, in the organization who have had to periodically go back into treatment and into counseling because they have to resolve some of those issues that are much deeper than their physical hurt. One of them writes poetry. And uh, you, you sit and listen and you can hear the voice of lament uh, coming through what he says, and 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 always looking for that kind of healing for for his his inner being, and uh, it's very touching to hear him recite the poetry. And then you know we reflect on that with him, and reflect on it uh, in the, in our meetings, and it's been very very helpful for many of them to see that they're carrying injuries that they really have not. Paid as much attention to as they have their physical injuries, and so they begin to. Some of them will be joined twelve-step programs uh, in order to go back and try and, you know, to try to go through that process so they can give up some of that uh, behavior and also find that kind of acceptance in a community.
1: Right. Are there ways that veterans, such as you're talking about there, that veterans from uh, former wars that are older are relating to the young veterans of the current wars that are coming back?
3: Yeah, uh, we have some. It's very difficult for us to get the younger veterans to come back and, and talk to the older veterans. Uh, yeah, and I think that's because there's a lot of differences in lifestyle. Uh, most of the uh, VA and veterans organizations are centered around clubs and social kind of events. And uh, the younger generation, you know, would probably be have more fun showing up at a gym or a health club rather than sitting around uh, having a beer. And so, you know, we're struggling with how to reach these uh, young people coming back in ways that meet their uh needs and and not meet our needs to get to other kind of members
1: right thank you what are some of the specific things that faith communities can do or even family members or friends or the community in general to have a constructive helpful response for veterans with the con- with this moral injury
4: well, we're, we're um, establishing trainings for congregations. We're going to have the first one February eighth to tenth at in Fort Worth. That um, this is, I think, a, a a process. It's it's not like suddenly you're going to fix people. Uh, as everybody knows in the recovery community, it's a lifelong journey that you're setting upon when you decide you're going to help and work with veterans. And I I tell people often who ask me, well, you know, how do you start? And I think it's important not to think of yourself as um treating or um healing veterans so much as befriending them and walking with them on this long journey of of reconstructing uh, a moral identity so what we tell people is that you you have to earn the right to listen um to, none of us likes to talk about something that we feel deeply ashamed of or feel horrible about. It's not an easy thing, even with people you trust, to talk about those things. And so part of it is a befriending process and to learn how to listen deeply to gain trust um, and then really take in what uh, you're hearing in a way that supports a person struggling with really difficult moral questions and not trying to offer easy, pat answers so that we'll feel more comfortable with the questions, uh, and also not imposing harsh judgments or um, condemnation. It's It's a process of how would you treat your best friend who's struggling with a really difficult situation in life. And it's also true that veterans often have a kind of close association that they formed as bonds in combat that, are hard to replace, and it's important to realize that as well, that sometimes veterans are more comfortable talking to each other than to others. Uh, often it's hard for them to talk to their families, and it's important for families to understand that that's a slow process, to, that they may uh, not hear so much from the veterans that return to them. We have a mother who served in the military herself, and her son was in Iraq. When, when we interviewed her for the book uh, and her son, we, I did a three-way phone call conversation with them. And after it was over and he hung up and he told me his of experiences in Iraq, she called me and said, you know, he has never said those things to me. I'm his mother, and I've even served in the military. And she said, it makes me aware. Of how hard it is sometimes for them to talk to people in their own families, that they may not want to disappoint you or uh, they feel like it's their job to take care of you rather than to burden you. And so those are all factors in understanding that sometimes patience is required and sometimes it's just knowing that they may not talk to you, they may talk to someone else and making sure that they have a community where there are people they can talk to.
1: Mm-hmm. And this is something you probably will be covering in that training coming up in February. Um, and I guess people mm-hmm. can find out that, about that at, on your website, right, if they want to know about that training? That's right. There's a little
4: there's a little form that you can sign up for updates for this one and further consultations. It will keep you on a mailing list, um, and we do a periodic newsletter. Um, and uh, just yesterday on my Google News feed there were – Six hits that came through on moral injuries, So there's more and more material out there uh, being covered by the media and books being written and things like that. So I think we're uh, the Soul Repair Center is just on the front end of a big wave of interest that's coming around moral injuries, So there'll be more and more good resources.
1: Great, that's fantastic.
3: And I think that's I, I think that's right, and I think some of the some of the interest is because. Uh, the people who have not gone to war in the United States feel some culpability in uh, taking war as lightly as we have uh, in, with the last couple of wars. And I think that there's, there's a need on the part of the entire American community to have a deep conversation about, you know, what are we sending people to when we send them to war? And uh, that conversation needs to happen, and I think people really feel that it needs to happen, and I think our service members who are willing to talk about their experiences can be very, very helpful in the process of of helping the rest of the nation to deal with some of these moral issues.
1: Right. Are there proactive things uh, with that, that what you're just saying, uh, Herm, that a faith community can do or should do or not in terms we we know certainly that in any faith community there are people there who are veterans of course just you know uh by the you know just the sheer numbers of it should it should a faith community launch out and say let's have a special service or i don't know what how would you start or maybe that's a bad idea well, one of the i don't things know
3: that we hope to- <laughs> one of the things we hope to do is, is to is to make uh, the liturgical life of the church much more reflective of, uh, of, of a place where the kinds of things of penance and, and healing can happen. Uh, I know one of the things that I felt with soldiers when they would come to me, and one of the things that's happening is that the men and women coming back from these wars are seeking out religious people or religious communities uh, be, because of the stigma attached to a lot of the psychiatric and social work communities but when they reach out and you and you're there to listen and to not be judgmental about what you're hearing and and just listening very deeply to what and what they're trying to communicate that that kind of thing is very important and I think that means you listen to all the voices. Uh, I listened to the, to the veterans against the war, and uh, I did some interviews with, for the Library of Congress for World War II veterans. And that opened up a whole new avenue for our church when we did the interviews on the World War II veterans. Uh, a lot of discussion took place that never took place before so
1: you did that in the context of your own church of doing those interviews of the people in your church with them
3: yes and we worked and we worked with uh, the library of congress is storing all of these services but uh i had i had one man who was a doctor who served an all-black unit and uh it was one of the first times he really talked about it and it was a great interview we just we just hit it off pretty well and He played that for some of his friends, and some of his friends just wanted to get a copy of that DVD so that they could hear it. And then he played it for his family, and the kids said, Dad, could we stop this to ask you more questions? And they said yes. And his wife said that they did this for three and a half hours, where they would shut off the tape and and let him explain a little bit more. And they said it was one of the most fabulous afternoons that they ever spent as a family.
1: That's incredible. Our time is up, but I want to thank uh, you so much, Rita Nakashima-Brock and Herman Kaiser, Jr., uh, co-directors of the Soul Repair Center at Bright Divinity School. You can find that at britesoulrepair.org, their website, to find out more about it. Um, And thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for uh, taking time to share with us today here on Spirit of Recovery. And many blessings for the work that you're doing.
3: Thank you, Anna. Thank you,
1: Anna. Thank you. Thank you. God bless. Thank you all for listening, and we'll be back with you next week. God bless you. Goodbye.
2: Thank you for tuning in to Spirit of Recovery with Reverend Anna Schaus, PhD and her guests. Join Anna and her guests live every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central, 2 p.m. Pacific for down-to-earth ideas on keeping spirituality in the heart of your recovery. Spirit of Recovery, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by Soul Matters Ministry in Olympia, Washington, committed to bringing light to the soul. Online at www.soulmatters-spiritworks.org. undervalued disconnected or simply overwhelmed at work or in your business are you trying to attract what you need but are desperately worried about cash flow what if the problems you're experiencing aren't problems at all but warning signals clues to redirect what if those clues are being obscured by your blind spots the things you can't see that are keeping you from accomplishing your goals Find out how you can move step by step beyond your blind spots each week here with Karin Pettigrew, Wednesday mornings at 9 Central Time on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world.
0: Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on this message from Daily Word. Is something in your life causing you concern? Don't be discouraged. The presence of God is peace and harmony, healing and creative ideas, is with you every moment of every day, providing the help you need. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. You are a spiritual being blessed with all that you need for happiness and fulfillment. God's wisdom will guide you. God's strength will help you do all that you need to do. And God's joy will lighten your heart with hope and courage.
2: This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity.
5: If I were brave, I'd walk the razor's edge.
2: How's life working for you? Would it be okay with you if it got easier, simpler, yet more meaningful, more vibrant? Join Rev. Carla McClellan Tuesday afternoons for Spiritual Coaching, Creating a Vibrant Life. Each week, Carla visits leading-edge coaches as they explore the sacred purpose and stunning results of this exciting and emerging coaching model. Together, they reveal the secrets and successes of this transformational process. Call in and join the discussion as Carla creates a safe and sacred place to dialogue about real life and real-world transformations. That's Spiritual Coaching, Living a Vibrant Life with Rev. Carla McClellan, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, right? Here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world.
5: What if we're all meant to do what we secretly
3: dream?
2: Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patris and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate and grow on this journey together.